Scooper Troopers, welcome to the Dipshit Files number six. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And we have another serial killer in our true crime little series. Mm-hmm. Her name is Linda Hazard, and she surprisingly ranks quite high, higher than Ed Gein, mm-hmm. had higher than Joseph Fritzl, mm-hmm. and I've never heard of her. Even higher than Ed Kemper. Yeah, but she's, it's a very interesting story. Her story's all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's got twists and turns. Yep. Illuminati shit. Yep. She was ahead of her time medically, but then also a fucking freak in the yeah. brain. <laughs> yeah. And she was cruel, and she had actually a decent criminal mind, mm-hmm. and she was definitely a social threat that she killed many people. Yes. 15 yes. confirmed, is what we understand, right? Yep. 15 confirmed, but they are estimating between 20 and 40. So it's 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 really interesting. And the theme of this show is everything in moderation. That's the theme of this of the, the story, show. not, not the, the dipshit files. The dipshit files theme is, you know, dipshit. <laughs> this story, yes, everything in moderation. Everything can be good within reason. Well, well let's open up another dipshit file. This is the Linda Hazard story. <laughs> Let's talk about dipshits. In September of 1910, two sisters came to the Pacific Northwest to embark on a deadly journey to find perfect health. The Williamson sisters were English from Liverpool, women of means and breeding. Dorothea, or Dora, age 37, and Claire, 33, were robust, attractive, and full of vigor. Not for long. (laughs) Nonetheless, both sisters, but especially Claire, the younger, had an obsession with healing themselves from illnesses. Some people call that hypochondria. Not fun. As our story unfolds, you may well find some disturbing parallels to our modern culture of wellness, influencers, potions, powders, tricks and tools of the wealthy to stave off illness and death. It was while the sisters were studying at the Empress Hotel in Vancouver, British Columbia, that they stumbled on a wellness solution that would forever change their lives. Colloidal silver. (laughs) And these are blue sisters. A fasting treatment facilitated by a woman named Dr. Linda Hazard. So fitting. Hazard, yes. Her last name is Hazard. Dun-dun-dun. Merriam-Webster defines... Just a dirty bitch. Killing all them folks. I don't even know what the story is yet, but fuck it, I can't contain myself. Just a piece of shit. Always meaning us home. Bitch, all she ever knew was killing motherfuckers for the things that they own, yeah. Making her way like only fuckheads know how. That's just a little bit more than normal folk would allow. Sorry about that, you were saying? Merriam-Webster defines hazard as a source of danger. Huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she is a source of danger. Yes. So, what is Linda defined as? Uh, I, that I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll have to figure that out eventually, too. So before I jump into today's story, I wanted to lay out a bit of a foundation for the subject matter. The story's a bit convoluted without it, so... We're going to learn about starvation <clears throat> and you, fasting a little you bit. You kind of need to to understand the depths at, of the depravity that happens here. Right, so, let's hear it. And we'll learn some things about yeah. you know, health and shit. And I'll make it quick. I'll make it painless. You better, lady. Context of the dipshit. As I researched this historical piece on murder and abuse, I found myself often on the fence when it came to the medical practices. 
So anyone who knows me knows that I prefer the natural approach to illness. Crystals um, up your butt. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm anti-medical establishment or anti-pharmaceuticals. She'll take the medical doctor's crystals up her butt. <laughs> well, we can, of course, take a bit of time and use a bit of patience, apply natural methods to basic illnesses like colds and simple skin conditions like contact dermatitis, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, it's just a rash, mm -hmm. itchy rash from touching something or an environmental factor, something you're allergic to. Right, when I go outside. It's it, just breathing, breathing yeah. the air. If I go into nature, I... Contact dermatitis man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the mosquitoes know it too. They're like, watch this guy suffer. Let's make him worse. It's my experience that the time arrives when seeking professional medical attention is the best course of action. So this story skates a thin line, in my personal opinion, when it comes to medical care, often teetering on the darker side of things. Leaving me saying, as I'm reading, I'm just like, no, don't do that. Uh, reminds me that all things are beneficial in moderation. Uh, when we go overboard with anything on this planet, it leads to bad things. Right. So Even if you drink too much water. Mm -hmm. Moderation. Yeah. So that brings me to the subject matter of today's piece. It's just a piece. piece of shit. Oh, that. Fasting. Okay. So bear with me as I go into a bit of foundation building. It does play into the story and aids in understanding. Sounds good. I'm ready to learn. Let's learn some shit. When it comes to ideas around healthy living and lifestyle, good nutrition and adequate exercise are often core pillars. I disagree. <laughs> well, this is certainly mm. true. There is more to consider regarding our relationship with food and healthy living. I like to consider my relationship with gas station burritos. Fasting is the willing abstinence or reduction from some or all food, drink, or both for a period of time. That's the definition. Okay. Although sometimes viewed as unhealthy, depriving, or reserved for religious reasons, short-term fasting can offer excellent health benefits. Notice my use of the short-term. Hmm. Short-term right. in air quotes. Underlined well, in some, bold, some all cultures, caps. <laughs> some cultures will just have kind of a day that they don't eat. Right, right, once right. Once a week, mm -hmm. yeah, but then they eat every other day. Well, as research grows in this area of health, fasting is becoming more widely accepted as a legitimate means of managing weight and preventing disease, which I found Intermittent really... Intermittent fasting yeah, is, is pretty popular. Yep, you're finding it all over the place, yeah. um, referenced everywhere. At the same time, it's important that fasting is done in proper and healthy ways. True. So... There's a lot of weight on that sentence. That, yeah. That, that's what I call foreshadowing. Yeah. Proper and healthy ways. Is this coming? <laughs> the improper way is coming. She's a dirty All right. So bitch. we're going to talk a little bit about the science of fasting. Fucking a large body of evidence now supports the benefits of fasting, though the most notable data has been recorded in studies with animals. So, mm. you know, they're still working on the human stuff. Even so, these findings are promising for humans. Essentially, fasting cleanses our body of toxins and forces cells into processes that are not usually stimulated when a steady stream of fuel from food is always present. Mm. Fasting puts the body under mild stress, which makes our cells adapt by enhancing their ability to cope. In other words, they become stronger. Smart little cunts. As with exercise, our body can only grow stronger during these processes when there is adequate time to rest and recover. That's why short-term fasting is recommended. Ah, they can be dumb little cunts. Starvation, however, is a severe deficiency of caloric energy intake below the level needed to maintain an organism's life. And dead little cunts, sorry. Generally, the recommended daily calorie intake is 2,000 calories a day for a woman, 
and 2,500 for a man. Mm. How many calories are in a gas station burrito? It's the most extreme form of malnutrition. In humans, prolonged starvation can cause permanent organ damage and eventually death. Starvation has also been used as a means of torture or execution. Oh, yeah. Without any food, humans usually die in one to two months. Keep that in mind. One to two months. It'll be a key tool we'll need later. Lean people can usually survive with a loss of up to 18% of their body mass. Obese people can tolerate more, possibly over 20%. Females live longer than males. Insert Florida man joke here. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. The following are some symptoms of starvation. So changes in behavior or mental status. The beginning stages of starvation impact mental status and behaviors. Hanger. These, yeah, hangry, yes. These symptoms show up as irritable mood, (laughs) fatigue, trouble concentrating, and preoccupation with food thoughts. Preoccupation with food thoughts. Preoccupation, is that what I said? I don't, yeah. Did I say it right? Did I stumble over my words? Pizza? People with these symptoms tend to be easily distracted and have no energy. I was easily distracted and I don't have energy. (laughs) What's going on? Pizza? So there's physical sides. The timing of these symptoms depends on age, size, and overall health. It usually takes days to weeks and includes weakness, fast heart rate, shallow breaths that are slowed, thirst, and constipation. There may also be diarrhea. In some cases, the eyes begin to sink in and glass over. Jeez. Okay, so there's a bunch of other symptoms. Sounds like a good time. There's a bunch of other symptoms here I'm not going to go through, but stages of starvation. So the symptoms of starvation show up in three stages. Hmm. Phase one and two can show up in anyone that skips meals, diets, and goes through fasting. Hanger. Phase three is more severe, can be fatal, and results in long-term starvation. And probably some organ damage and shit yeah. like that. Yeah. So phase one, when meals are skipped, the body begins to maintain blood sugar levels by producing glycogen in the liver and breaking down stored fat and protein. Science. The liver can provide glycogen for the first few hours. After that, the body begins to break down fat and protein. Science. science. Phase two can last for weeks at a time. In this phase, the body mainly uses stored fat for energy. The breakdown occurs in the liver and turns fat into ketones. After fasting for one week, the brain will use these ketones and any available glucose. Using ketones lowers the need for glucose and the body slows the breakdown of proteins. During this time, the symptoms experienced most commonly are bad breath, weight loss, reduced appetite, headache, nausea, brain fog, and fatigue. Basically, the individuals feel as if they have the flu with symptoms such as headache, tiredness, nausea, and upset stomach. Phase two starting to suck. Phase three. Ah. By this point, the fat stores are completely gone and the be- the body begins to turn to stored protein for energy. It's eating muscle and shit. Yeah, protein is essential for cells to work correctly and when it runs out, the cells can no longer function. The cause of death due to starvation is usually an infection or the result of tissue breakdown. This is due to the body becoming unable to produce enough energy to fight off bacteria and viruses. And the final stage of starvation includes signals like Hair loss, skin flaking, swelling of the extremities, and a bloated belly. Hmm. Even though they may feel hunger, people in the final stages of starvation usually cannot eat enough food Wait, to recover. So a bald, itchy dude with a boner is like, <laughs> he should be looking into stuff. With a, with a belly? A bald, itchy dude with a belly and so, a boner so, is in danger of so having malnutrition does... from starvation. <laughs> yeah, sounds right. So how does all of this tie into today's story, you may be asking? Well... I'd like to dive in. Let's dive in. This is our dipshit, Linda Hazard. 
Story of the Dipshit. Linda Burfield Hazard was born on December the 18th, 1867 in Carver County, Minnesota. She was one of eight children born to her parents, Montgomery and Susanna Burfield. She was an intelligent and studious child, but was known to be somewhat overbearing. Uh-huh. In 1885, when Linda was 18 years old, she married a man named Edwin Peary and later had two children, but the marriage didn't last. The couple divorced and Linda moved to Minneapolis. She was fascinated by the healing power of nature and believed that excessive eating was a cause of most illnesses and that fasting would remove toxins from the body, correct imbalances, and allow the body to heal itself. Which, you know, is partly, in in essence, correct. Yeah, there's been lots of ideas that, that seem very correct, but the body right. seems very counterintuitive yeah. a lot of times because we didn't know what cells were. We didn't know, you know <clears throat> some of these biochemical Moderation. things. Right. Yeah. So Linda, Linda Hazard was inspired by books written by the American physician who was a pioneer in what they call therapeutic fasting named Edward H. Dewey. Very nice name. Edward Hooker Dewey was <laughs> born May 21st, 1837 and died December 21st, 1904. Edward Hooker Dewey here at your service. Sorry, I Edward Hooker didn't mean to Dewey that. He was considered <laughs> the pioneer of the therapeutic fasting cure and the advocate of what he called the no breakfast plan. Well, I'll do him too better. I'm a pioneer of the don't eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner plan and just put things in your butt plan. Probably just grapes. Grape up the butt plan. Grapeass.com. He graduated from the College of Medicine and Surgery of the University of Michigan in 1864 with a medical degree and became an assistant surgeon in the Army of the United States. Greatpass.com. From 1866, he started to work in Meadville, Pennsylvania. As he gained experience, so did his faith in nature. Dr. Dewey suggested his patients to abstain from food, have no breakfast, and other alternative medicines such as fresh air, pure water, and sunshine. He published five books. And you can too. So, you know, five times author, The True Science of Living, New Era of Women, Health Without Drugs, Chronic Alcoholism, No Breakfast Plan, and The Fasting Cure. And do cocaine every day. (laughs) All right, so back to Linda. Oh, the dirty bitch. Despite not having any formal medical qualifications, Linda managed to set herself up as a practitioner of alternative medicine. She wasn't even a doctor. Which, you know, da 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 Mm -hmm. In 1902, a patient in her care died, and the coroner determined that the death was caused by starvation. This is the first one. Linda was investigated. She's hooked now. And it soon came to the attention of the police that some jewelry that had belonged to the deceased was missing. Stealing all of their shit. Relatives speculated that Linda had stolen it. Find his keepers. The police interviewed her and reviewed the strange death of the patient. Wait, how'd you get that jewelry? But it was eventually determined that she could not be prosecuted. There was little evidence that she had taken the jewelry, and as she was not licensed to practice medicine, she could not be prosecuted for malpractice. <laughs> loophole. Hmm. Some fun Funny little gray little areas loophole. in the Yeah. So uh, this just begins the loophole issue. Poop hole loophole. Soon after, I'm sorry. Linda met a man named Samuel Christamine Hazard. He had studied at a military academy at West Point, but did not graduate. For some reason, Linda found him charming. But he was a heavy drinker and already had two failed marriages behind him. Despite this, Linda and Samuel got married. I'll fix him. Soon after, however, the authorities prosecuted him for bigamy 
as he had failed to divorce one of his previous wives, and in 1904, Samuel Hazard was sent to prison for two years. Do you have a non-problem that doesn't need solving? Government's here to solve it for you and possibly shoot your dog. When he was released in 1906, the couple decided to leave Minneapolis. Both had become well-known in the city for the wrong reasons, so they packed their bags and traveled to the state of Washington. Yay. Here they lived Bring in your trouble here. <laughs> here they got apples. Here they lived in the small rural community of Olala in Kitsap County. Probably pretty. They set up home on a small piece of property, and Linda's plan was to earn enough money so she could build a sanitarium where she could treat her patients. Welcome to Thompson Still. She named the new property Wilderness Heights. In the meantime, however, she needed to work, so set up practice in the city of Seattle. She traveled daily from her new home to the city, and her practice was located in the historic Northern Bank and Trust Building, which is now the Seaboard Building on the corner of 4th and Pike Street in downtown Seattle. Nice. It still stands. Yeah. Washington <coughs> State was the perfect place for her, though. Due to a loophole regarding people who worked in alternative medicine, she was able to obtain a license to practice even though she did not have any form of medical qualifications. I'm sure it'll be fine. Despite the harsh methods she used, many people seemed to embrace her theories and her treatments and practice and the practice attracted many patients. In January of 1908, a Norwegian woman named Daisy Ward Hagland came to the practice. Ute. <laughs> Linda recommended that she fast for 50 days. Okay, so remember wow. in the beginning? That's like d near boom, death. Yeah. Right out of the gates. Almost two months. Linda recommended she fast for 50 days. She was in her late 30s, but in February, before she finished her fasting treatment, she, she died. died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. The same year, another <laughs> woman named you died. sure I can't have a <laughs> peanut? I'm feeling pretty peckish. Well... If you, if you want to fail the treatment, <clears throat> I guess, loser. Yeah, that's Don't be a loser. That's what you'll see. That's really? what this woman was oh, like. Wow, she was in her late 30s, but in February she died. The same year, another woman died, that, and her name was Ida Wilcox. Yeah, in England, Wilcox can also be said Bill Penis, just so you know. Linda, however, carried on practicing her alternative medicine and published mm. a book named Fasting for the Cure of Disease. Mm. Two more patients died in 1909, and more followed in 1910. Real quick, uh, uh, any pseudoscience book is going to have, in the title of the book, this will cure stuff. Cure. The yeah. word cure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but you guys all know that already. Um, however, when an engineer named Earl Edwin Ermine died in her care, her practice started to receive more attention, and the Seattle Daily Times headlined their front page with the words, Woman MD Kills Another Patient. Wrong. Despite this, there were many patients who wanted to improve their health with her treatments and take advantage of her medical theories. Many, however, didn't improve. And in a space of a few months, two more men died under her care. A man named Ivan Flux found his way to Linda's practice. He was originally from England and had come to Washington to buy a ranch. Fascinated with her treatments, he placed himself under her care. Linda insisted that he fast to cure his ailments. And also do cocaine about it. As his fast continued and he grew weaker, she managed to gain control of his finances. Nice. And after 53 fucking days, he died. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a lot of days being hungry. Imagine, when, I'm, I'm, when I'm hangry for 25, 30 minutes, I'm like, mm -hmm. I need to put some food in me. When his family was informed of his passing, he had less than $100 to his name. Even still, the authorities took no action. To stop her practice yeah. locals dubbed her wilderness heights property starvation heights and people started to 
question her methods. Mm -hmm. Later that year, health inspectors tried to convince a man named Louis Ellsworth Rader to abandon his fast when he was being treated in a Seattle hotel. He was a former Washington state legislator and publisher of the magazine Sound News. But he refused to stop his treatments, and Linda transferred him to Wilderness Heights, where he later... Became a Scientologist. Died. Right. Maybe maybe some of his thoughts weren't as sound as his mm. magazine <laughs> Although that's about the Puget Sound, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, but. All of her patients, however, were not being forced to fast. They were doing it of their own free will, so despite the authorities' concerns... No action was taken. Fair. You're all, we're trying to treat people like adults. <laughs> so this is where we're going to get into the uh, the meat of our story. Heart of the dipshit story. The Williamson sisters, who I had referred to in the very beginning, were worldly and wealthy by early 20th century standards. They were seen as borderline eccentric. I mean, they were vegetarians. Ooh. They are. Weird. They, back then. They so did, was Hitler. <laughs> and, they did, and they didn't wear corsets, which was kind of surprising. Oh. The two sisters were extremely close and self-reliant, but their independence was born of much hardship. Both parents had died by the time Claire was 14, and the only paternal figure they had was their governess, an Australian woman named Margaret Conway whom they both adored and treated as a mother. The governess. All the right. sisters may have looked to Margaret for love and emotional support, but they needed no financial support. That's good. That had been taken care of by their Scottish grandfather, Charles Williamson, who left them well over one million U.S. dollars, along with property all over the world. In the 19th century? Yes. Sheesh. At that time, that was a startling amount of money for two women to control on their own. They are, but they were aware of this, and they tended to be rather closed off or guarded, wary of investors and flirty men who may have been after their wealth. Yeah. When the sisters came across Dr. Linda Hazard, it seemed they had found a woman after their own heart. A woman doctor. Yeah. Building her own sanitarium, designing a treatment that nobody else was doing, running her own practice without a man doctor. They were highly impressed. Fuck me. And yes... Man doctors were out there talking shit, claiming she was killing her patients. <laughs> well, that's how we talk to all the ladies. But Hazard was quick to be her own marketing guru. Modesty was for losers, evidently. <laughs> she held firm to what she believed in, which was diet and fasting to cure such diseases as cancer, Dumb. psoriasis, Dumb. heart disease, Dumb. tuberculosis. Dumb. Epilepsy. Dumb. Everything. And insanity. Dumb. Nice. A panacea is just don't <clears throat> eat. That's, right, that makes right. all the sense. A quote uh, from her book, uh, a quote that she was quoted saying, which is why I called it a quote. Mm -hmm. Overeating <laughs> is the vice of the whole human race. Ooh, how dare you. Yep. And by overeating, I think she just meant e any eating. Eating, like, yeah. Like at all, period. Eating more like than once a day. Or eating, period. Yeah, don't put anything in your mouth. Did she have just wrote, <clears throat> maybe this will come out later? But was there any talk of her having any food allergies, or was she just like I found I nothing of that? I found nothing. One of time, that. an asparagus tree <laughs> fell on me and fuck, fuck vegetables and food. Well, it's funny that you choose asparagus. Um, really? Yeah. Right. So after reading an ad in the paper, Claire wrote to Doctor Hazard in Seattle, telling her about Dora's swollen glands and achy knees and her own stomach problems. Her glands suck. Yes. So a few days later, Dr. Hazard's book, Fasting for the Cure of Disease, arrived at the sisters' hotel. They read it aloud, cover to cover, in their hotel room, already primed to receive the book's message. The sisters believed that traditional medical doctors, with their use of drugs and their science and their schooling... Fucking were, science. ...were, quote, fools. 
right. which is kind of funny. It's always you can always tell pseudoscience mm-hmm. when everybody in the in, in some industry is an idiot, but the person yeah. shouting whatever alternative there is. Instead, they were devoted followers of what is referred to at the time as the clean living movement. I should say, likely pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes a voice out in the ether that's like, hey, fucking the world's <laughs> round. You may recognize the term because the movement has resurged multiple times in the last 150 years. The uh, clean living movement. Mm. And the rhetoric from 1910 is going to sound familiar. In order to live clean, one must only eat natural foods. Nothing artificial. Never mm. indulging or overeating. Sugar alcohol and sexual activity all highly discouraged after finishing hazard's book claire and dora well especially claire were like sign me up right i hate people too yeah (laughs) (laughs) i want to punish myself yeah i don't like myself or others convinced that dr hazard could finally cure them of all of their ailments Claire wrote a letter asking the doctor if she would take on their case. And Linda said, fuck yeah, chiching. Not only would she take on their case. Linda would also be happy to take her money. Hazard told them that if they could come to Seattle, she could begin treating them right away and eventually move them to her beautiful new sanitarium when it's ready. An excited Dora and Claire set off to Seattle, but concerned about being gossiped about or dismissed as faddists following a food fad they didn't tell any of their friends or relatives about their plans that sucks not to have people in your life that you trust enough to ask advice like that of but i also get it so we're we're taking our story is heading on down to the northern bank and trust building in downtown seattle today it's mostly upscale condos and retail but in 1911 this brand new building held the office of Dr. Linda Hazard. She's just a piece of shit. It was 11 a.m. on February 27, 1911, that Dora and Claire Williamson arrived here and finally met the doctor face to face. Dr. Hazard was imposing in every way. 43 years old, tall, fit, wearing a plain white dress that resembled a nurse's uniform. She cut a fearsome figure, the type of woman that vulnerable people were desperate to impress. Oh, geez. Uh, just scary. Mm. When the sisters arrived in Hazard's office, she wasted no time diagnosing them as terribly sick. Your conditions mm. are quite serious. Yeah. She warned and insisted on starting treatment at the very that very moment. Whoa! Also, yeah. red flags. So many right. red flags. So when Dora, that we all know now, I think. When Dora us. asked that if the doctor didn't maybe want to perform any sort of physical exam on them, Hazard pushed back, saying, "It is no use to do an examination for any organic disease until the fast has proceeded for some time." Yikes! Right. No physical exam. Wow. Hazard then regaled them with anecdote after anecdote of her medical successes and her prominence in Minneapolis, conveniently excluding the legal troubles involving starved patients and missing jewelry she left behind to See, go west. Real quick. Yeah. So more red flags. Like, this feels like a, a you know campaign of counting red flags at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. But these are still being used by charlatan mm-hmm. people out there around the world yep. all the time all these things like anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. you know nine out of ten doctors that we ask think that fucking smoking cigarettes with your butthole will make <laughs> your cancer your butthole go away and it's like you know i don't know if that's necessarily right and should it be legal i don't know i mean i don't like the government at all so maybe we should just be smarter but you know it's probably it's very unethical at the very least and they still yeah. do it and she's just doing the things that people do mm-hmm. and she just went too far by killing folk but if she didn't kill folk all these dirty tactics still legal we have to be smarter (laughs) in a world full of propaganda and marketing Mm -hmm. we've got to be smarter absolutely well so after all of this 
the sisters were dazzled. Well, at least Claire certainly was. Mm. So Claire was sold. Blown away by this. Yeah, right? Or just scared by this person or impressed by this person, perhaps, too. So, well, Dora, the oldest sister, she was a bit dubious. Um, More of an explorer herself. <laughs> but Dora would soon learn, soon learn how much Linda Hazard did not like to be questioned. Right. Despite Dora's Another concern, red flag. Don't you question the system. Right. Despite Dora's <sighs> concerns, the sisters submitted to their very first osteopathic treatment. Essentially, Hazard just pounding on their backs, their heads, and their foreheads. She just started punching them? Yep. So just, I don't know. I don't know what this is. <laughs> Punch therapy. But it, it, it is. It's osteopathic treatment. You look sick. Let me kick your ass. It's like p- tap pounding. <laughs> How's your prostate now right. after I've punched it several times? <laughs> well... I can't feel it anymore now that the blood's kind of coming out of my nose. Well, before they left their first appointment, Dr. Hazard instructed the sisters on their new regimen. And they're asking each other, did you see punch me in the face and Mm. kick my ass therapy in the brochure? I missed that. They were to boil tomatoes in a quart of water to make a vegetable broth, (sighs) no salt, no sugar, no seasoning, and only a tiny amount of butter. And just a splash of fairy piss. They were to drink one cup of the tomato broth twice a day later incorporating asparagus broth and orange juice. Oh, there's the asparagus. Mm-hmm. No other food was allowed. Orange for juice, s- too. Orange juice was mm-hmm. actually not very popular. Or mm-hmm. It was hard to get. No other food was allowed for several weeks or until Hazard told them they could eat again. Mm. So, period. This lady's been driven mad with power over withholding sandwiches. In addition, the sisters were told to walk. Walk, 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 walk. As fast as possible to pervert, to purge the poison that filled their bodies for a fee of $60 per sister. This is in the early 1900s. Dora and Claire would see Hazard five days a week for a massage, Mm -hmm. which is (laughs) beating, right? Physical beating. Uh, Internal massage. Internal massage? Yeah. Wait, Um, wait, wait. wait. Is that fisting? No. (laughs) They punch in... Punching. Enemas, enemas. Oh my! Well, yeah, like right. the internal bath. A liquid fist. Yeah. Ooh. Nice. Uh, and so, and they also had to take hot baths, hot, hot baths. Oh wow! Does it have to be scalding? Blisters means it's working. So they left the office that day to move into nearby apartment that Hazard had arranged for them to <laughs> so rent, they, so they could be closer to the <clears throat> torture chamber. Yes, exactly. The sisters were a little disappointed that they weren't going to be going straight to the sanitarium across the Sound in Olala, Washington, which was still under construction. So, you know, she misled them from the beginning. Right. It was no secret that the promise of a cabin in the majestic Pacific Northwest woods where they would walk among the woodland creatures was part of their wellness journey that originally hooked them. Which is awesome, by the way. I live in the Northwest, and I've <laughs> it, been into the rainforest and had those magical journey oh, yeah. retreats, and they oh, are yeah. fucking amazing. You wake up, and you're like, Oh, that's 85 deer in a little river five feet from me. <laughs> and there's a rainbow over their heads and all the fucking bunny rabbits are singing a song I like. You know, it's very nice. Then, as now, the aesthetic vacation-like experience of wellness was part of the package. It was here that their new home, number D8, in the Buena Vista Apartments on Capitol Hill, that Dora and Claire began their treatment regimen. I like Capitol Hill. So that's not what they expected at all. Not at all. They wanted to be in no, you know, they're, Shangri-La. They're, they're in downtown Seattle yeah. in an apartment. Okay. Red flag. We're following the red flags here. If, mm-hmm. if the, the building on the ad doesn't match the building that they want you to go into, it's like the ITT Technical Institute <laughs> things back in the day. It's like, come to the ITT Technical Institute. And then you, you go in there and you're like, this is a strip mall. <laughs> yes. What the hell is going on here? This doesn't feel like I'm going to be accredited. <laughs> is this accredited? <laughs> I don't trust you guys. That's on me. So I, my my parents' business when I was a kid was next door 
briefly for like a year and a half to an ITT technical institute. Oh, really? Yeah, and it used to be a bank. It was like a uh-huh. little bank building. With a little tiny hole in the wall. Yeah, and we drive by and they're just all smoking like, I don't think this is a real degree. It's <laughs> fucking expensive though. Yeah. So uh, Dora and Claire's new regimen are fasting massages and enemas. That is what their day is now <laughs> consumed with. The enemas, they began at around 30 minutes. Okay, so, so this is like the essence of masochism for these patients. Yep. And then sadism for... Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. this is a little sadomasochistic fucking... Yep. But the patients the don't know that. They're there for to get healthy. Right. And this is wellness. Yeah. Well. So the enemas began around 30 minutes. Um, but then, after some time, they advanced to hours long... <laughs> Hours. Hours of that. That's a multiple. That'll prune up your O-ring. Then eventually, day-long treatments. A day-long enema. Have you ever had an enema? Uh, no, I've not. Okay, uh, it's not comfortable. It's not. Not at all. I think um, it'd be very nice. Very, it, very it is. Pleasurable. It is absolutely uh, terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, it's not comfortable at all. No, okay, for a day. So the pain. Every day. Just like, <clears throat> yeah, days long. Ugh. I mean, it's a day long, all day. Why? Why? I do, doesn't make sense Why? to me. The pain became so excruciating that a type of hammock had to be strung up over the bathtub for the sisters when they eventually fainted from the pain. Okay, red flag there. Uh, but yeah. I don't need to talk mm-hmm. about that. I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Very quickly, the sisters' physical appearance began to deteriorate, as did their ability to walk. Hmm. So fainting and collapsing became so common that over uh, that the sisters just kind of started to ignore it. When one of them would keel over. They just started putting just couches start, yeah. everywhere. Like, oh. As the weeks progressed, the neighbors in the building became disturbed by what they saw and heard. They were hearing moans of agony coming from that apartment. Yikes. Just, ugh. So appalled was one neighbor by the quote in out of the book, hideous skeletal appearance of the sisters that she took to avoiding them in the hallway. Whoa. Nellie Sherman was a nurse and loyal employee of Dr. Hazard who cared for the sisters at the Buena Vista apartments. So she I'm sorry. It's like one of the sisters is coming out to this lady. She's like, hey, I've been working on my health. How am I doing? Hey, where are you going? Come oh, you look well. You're doing great. Whatever you're doing, just keep it up. Just stay to the other side of the complex if possible so as I can keep my food down that I like to eat. Apparently, you uh. don't. That's so, Dr. Hazard. Another red flag. <laughs> we're talking about Nellie Sherman, which was Dr. Hazard's nurse, and she cared for the sisters. Right. Dr. Hazard had told Nellie that the two English girls at the Buena Vista were in a very bad way, and it shouldn't be long. The doctor said this. Shouldn't be long for what? For her achy knees and bloating <laughs> to kill her dead. I guess knees. people are dying from achy knees nowadays. That's so weird. That's weird. I know. So, one night. Nurse Nellie knocked on the door of a new neighbor at the Buena Vista, and her name was Clara Kerrigan, uh, fearfully asking her to come over and take a look at something that had come out of Claire's enema. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. No. So it's like, yeah. I mean, this is kind of a, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. I know you're new around here. Here, I made you some cookies. Also, can you come take a look at this thing? You want to verify this for me? Fuck. I think it's a poop, but it might be <laughs> an alien. Maybe my kidney. So Clara had already been over to meet Dora and Claire while Hazard was there working on them, and she was absolutely shocked by what she yeah, saw. All right, fuck. Despite Claire's skin being drawn tight across her bones, Dr. Hazard was not being gentle at all in her beating. You see right there is the key to full beat down massage therapy. You really want to just kick their ass. Massages, Massages, yes. So Clara 
also overheard Dr. Hazard talking to Nellie about another patient who had just died and whom Hazard was in the process of autopsying. Say, what the fuck now? Yeah. Uh, She specifically heard Hazard say that she needed a bigger kettle to dismember the corpse. Yikes. Right? So naturally, Clara had been troubled by this encounter ever (laughs) since, and now she's being asked to examine an enema. Leavings? Residue? So Nellie showed Clara the strange matter floating in what had apparently come out of Claire. Mm -hmm. Both women were actually scared, though. Nellie, though loyal to Hazard, went behind Hazard's back to another osteopath, Dr. Augusta Brewer, for help. So she knew what was up. Yeah. But she was afraid, probably. Yeah, so in no uncertain terms, Dr. Brewer told Nellie that the sisters had absolutely had to eat more than just tomato broth, but it was no use. The sisters wouldn't do anything unless Dr. Hazard told them or allowed them to do so. She got deep in their heads. This control started to go beyond the treatments, though. Hazard had also decided that Dora, who basically slept all day because she could barely stay conscious, was out of her mind and could not be trusted to make decisions for herself. Give me your give me your checkbook. <laughs> right. Yeah. So she instructed Claire to never discuss finances with Dora and insisted the sisters' valuables like their jewelry and their land deeds must be kept in a safe where? In their butts? In her back pocket. In her office, yeah. yes. So Hazard in was her a, bank account. Yeah, no, you just put it in my yeah, put it in my desk. So that. Hazard was obsessed with the f- his sister's finances and putting water in their butts, asking if they were bound to anybody but each other regarding their money and property. Unfortunately for them, they were not. Big red flag. Right. When in, yeah. So at last, it was finally time for the sisters to be transferred from Seattle to the Olala Sanitarium or Wilderness Heights. Dr. Hazard called the Sanitarium Wilderness Heights Institute of Natural Therapeutics. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? it, Welcome to the happy house where happiness and and we've got rainbows Mm -hmm. and it's like, come on now. So the people in Seattle called it Hazard's Lodge, Hmm. but the locals in Olala called it Starvation Heights. Both are very, I wouldn't go Mm -mm. to those places looking for help in either way. Hazard's so, a bad name for a doctor. Hey, doctor, kills them all. Yeah. Yeah, doctor malpractice, doctor hazard, and doctor non-consensual sex want to see you in accounting. Oh, uh, fuck. On the morning of April 22nd, two ambulances to arrived what? at the... Ambulances arrived at the Buena Vista to pick the sisters up and deliver them to the pier to catch the ferry to Olala. Hmm. The ambulances were provided... This is interesting, and I'm throwing this in because this is a little side shoot of an issue. Okay. So the ambulances were provided by Seattle's very first actual mortuary, and they were called E.R. Butterworth's and Sons, was the name of this company. So there was a Mr. Butterworth. Now, an ambulance provided by a mortuary really wasn't all that strange in the early 20th century. Butterworth and Sons considered themselves a full-service mortuary, which means... In addition to the funerals and burials they provided, they also had a fleet of ambulances alongside providing morgue space for death investigations for Seattle's King County Corner. Right, and they were full service, so they also had hitmen that would (laughs) knock people off for you, too. Hey, the customer's always right. The mortician, E.R. Butterworth, also had a unique business relationship with Linda Hazard. His fuckery afoot. A relationship that would come under scrutiny within the next few months. Mm. Scrutiny of the fuckery by Charles Nordhoff and James Norman Hall. When the sisters were wheeled out, the people around were appalled. Both women now weighed about 70 pounds. <laughs> when they were wheeled out, it's like, all right, you guys, 
press conference time. I want to show you guys what my awesome new health uh, fad has been doing. 70 pounds, honey. Check them out. You can hold both of them in one hand now. I mean, that's what we we're going for, right? Clara could barely speak, and Dora's head looked like the top of a lollipop. Basically, it was just a skull. Dude. They were made to wait there in the ambulance for hours. Finally, Hazard's attorney, More fuckery. Linda has her attorney, his name is John Arthur, showed up and hurried into Claire's ambulance. Are talking about baseball? What happened in that ambulance? Signing of uh-huh. documents. Well, John Arthur helped Claire, who could barely move, write a letter to Margaret Conway, her beloved governess, in Australia. Crocky dick slapper. Claire wanted Margaret to know that her will was being updated to leave money to the Hazard Institute and for her body to be cremated by Dr. Hazard. So there can't be an autopsy. Mm-hmm. Once that was done, Dora and Claire were finally off to Olala on their magical wellness retreat. Mm-hmm. Now, for a bit about Olala. A lot of people probably don't know much about this area. I know zero. Well, you live here and you don't know about it? No, it's on the west side. So it's a small, unincorporated community across the sound from Seattle. Right. Uh, towards the west. I can so, tell you more about Seattle for sure. By just a quick visit, one might notice that people in Olala love their history and their stories. And Starvation Heights, as dark of a story as it is, is a huge part of that. So during Linda Hazard's time in Olala, it was a working class town with a population of only 350. Mm. Mostly Scandinavian immigrants. It's bigger now. Its main industries were farming and logging. Linda Hazard absolutely did not fit in. The people of Olala regarded her with a mix of awe and fear. Her husband, Sam, was physically intimidating, handsome, and ex-military. And they actually had a son who was an aspiring actor. And they were the kind of upper-crust elites that the early 20th century working-class citizens of this farming community didn't know quite what to do with. They didn't know what to make of these people. Look at these weirdos. More curiosities than community members. But it didn't help that Linda Hazard was interested in the esoteric, theosophy, spiritualism, and mediumship. Mm. She's a Madame Blavatsky acolyte. Yeah, so Dora and Claire had this idea of coming to the romantic sanitarium in the woods with cabins and fresh air, and then they got here and Hazard puts them in a tiny little attic. Okay. Right above Dr. Hazard's bedroom. Hmm. Super creepy. There's a lot, there was a lot of talk about uh, Dr. Hazard being able to hear them. I don't know why I'm using the term doctor. She's not a doctor. No. But anyways, Hazard being Dip, able to hear them at night. Hazard, yeah. <laughs> Non-MD. Moving around, clawing their way around the floor because they couldn't walk. They were too weak. Hmm. So in the attic, the sisters were placed. Another red flag. Yep. It's like, oh, none of my things work anymore. In the attic, the sisters were placed in beds that were partitioned off from each other. By a screen. Like a ward. It was Hazard's orders that the sisters should be com- completely separated at all times. She claimed they would never recover if they weren't kept apart. Yikes. It's also allowed Hazard to continue to tell Claire that she was the sensible one and that Dora was deeply mentally ill and not to be trusted. Yeah. After the sisters AKA arrived. the skeptical and, one, I'm sure. Oh, she was. Yeah. She was the older one. So well, neither sister's winning any awards from the skeptic society. <laughs> After the sisters arrived in Olala, it wasn't long before Hazard started telling those around her that Claire was going to die. From knee pain. Um, So let's be clear. When Claire came to Linda Hazard, she was robust. Remember using that term in the very beginning. She was energetic and she weighed 100 pounds. Probably near just right for her. And her only recorded serious illness was diphtheria when she was a little kid. That was it. So by the time Claire's death was imminent, 
She weighed approximately 50 pounds. Whoa. That's the... That's like nothing. That's the weight of bones. And, and while everything seemed to be going as planned for Hazard with Claire signing over more property and more funds as she wasted away in her attic, a miscalculation loomed in the distance. Uh-oh. Margaret Conway was headed to Olala. So you remember Margaret? Not really, no. She was the governess. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you remember the letter that Hazard's lawyer helped Claire write? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't the only letter from Claire to Margaret. Okay. So on April 30th, Margaret received a strange cablegram from Claire, which is believed to have been snuck out by someone on the property and sent from the Olala Market store. And it read, quote, Come SS Marama, May 8th, first class, Claire. Okay. Sounds pretty basic, right? Yeah. Margaret was expecting Claire Coming to come. on a boat. Well, just asking, come, SS Marama, May 8th, first class, Claire. Margaret was expecting Claire to come visit her in Australia that spring, but the first class was out of character. So Claire would never brag about superior accommodations. It was completely out of character for her. So Mar- Margaret actually looks into the SS Marama's itinerary, and it turns out that that ship left Sydney on May 8th. It left Australia on May 8th. Claire wasn't coming to Australia. What the hell are you talking about, Mrs. Scriptkeeper? She wasn't coming on that boat. So she was in trouble and needed Margaret to come help her. Is this like a Rubik's Cube? Sure that something was very wrong. Margaret figured out a way. So is this a code? Yeah. That's she what was, she's doing. Yes. She okay. was typing in code. Basically, she was saying that I'm coming on a boat. That's absolutely. That, that is actually leaving that day. Your country. There's no way I'm on it. And right? first class, which was mm-hmm. That reminds me of uh, the, the movie and the TV show Firefly and Serenity. There's Does a, it? There's a cool, cool thing there. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> no reason for that to be in this podcast. So let's just move along. Rip well, so sure that something was wrong, Mar- Margaret had figured out a way onto a full ship. So on June 1st, Margaret Conway's ship finally arrived in Vancouver. Sam Hazard, Linda's husband, was waiting for her, and he immediately told her about Claire's death and Dora's insanity. Uh, Also this, hey. Margaret, of course, was devastated. It was too late. Claire had already been dead for several weeks. And although she had a lot of questions, her grief silenced uh, her asking them. She just couldn't think straight. So, right. Of course, but shit. The next day, so they headed um, for rest. So basically, the next day, Sam escorted Margaret to Seattle via steamership and then to Linda Hazard's office. That's in Mordor. Literally sick with grief, she was vomiting over the rail of the ship. Margaret had no idea how much worse her day was actually going to get. The Puget Sound isn't super calm all the time either, so that probably didn't help. Dr. Hazard met Margaret in her typical cold and to-the-point manner. She told Margaret that Claire and Dora had already been in a terrible state when they came to her. Wrong. Wrong. Exactly. Hazard moved immediately to discuss the autopsy she had personally conducted on Claire in such great detail such as how her liver had cirrhosis and was so hard I could not get a knife to penetrate it. Quote. Fucking yikes. Saying this shit to her family. Yes. Her and how her blood was powdered and how her internal organs had shrunk. What? Okay, so first of all, she's the diagnosing physician. Then she's the acting physician. And now she's the one who attended the death. And now she's also autopsy. She's a full meal deal. This is, where's the checks and balances? Yeah, not, not good. Anyways. Okay, so that's right. Hazard performed her own autopsies. Medical, and it's just the crazy. The medical system got more professional after all these things came to light. 
once people were able to read about all this stuff, they're like, no, we're not doing that anymore. Right, right. Well, Let's, so many weird things started happening. I mean, and this kind of shit, yeah, you know, we yeah. needed some checks and balances. So sure. my, I was curious, why was she so interested in the autopsies? Because of the fuckery. And as I started doing some research, um, I mean, you usually do an autopsy when you want to figure out cause of death. It's obvious what the cause of death is. Right. Um, but it seems she wanted to cover her tracks. Yeah. So it was terribly troubling that the doctor who was pronouncing the illness and the one who was the same one who did the autopsy. Well, it's better for the fuckery. So basically what's happening is instead of somebody autopsying the body and saying, well, they starved to death, she could actually say they were dying of cirrhosis of the liver mm -hmm. or clogged arteries or something that had really nothing to do with the truth, which was that they weighed 40 pounds, yeah, you know, so or 50 pounds. Right. That's just nuts that she's allowed to do autopsies mm. in general with a homeopathic yeah, in a bathtub. <laughs> Seriously. This planet in has this, been through In my some research, she shit. was doing autopsies in bathtubs. So We're doing better now. <laughs> we really are. I know the world seems like a fucking crazy shit show, but we are doing quite a bit better than we used to. Although the emotional maturity of the fire monkeys on this planet overall is very questionable. So Margaret barely had time to even register the horrific details of Claire's internal organs when Hazard asked if she'd like to see Claire's body. It's like, I don't like you, lady. She's like, you want to see her? <laughs> so Margaret thinks, I'm sorry. You know, my clear... My Claire has been dead for weeks. Oh, it'll be fine. Hazard replied, worry not. These are quotes. Worry not. I have her beautifully embalmed. What? Right. So at this point, you just know when some doctor that's already sort of shady busts out with the line, worry not. I've embalmed the body beautifully. <laughs> the shit's going to get weird. Shit's going to get weirder. Yeah. I mean, so, this is red flag after red I flag. Know. Obvious red flags. Very obvious. But this one, I mean, this, so, is, a, this is a red tapestry well and we think of embalming as you know it's a standard thing but um claire being embalmed actually horrified margaret so keep in mind hey, i made time, a mummy out of your sister we made a mummy right. out of you well at this time embalming was still relatively new it was a new procedure in the american funeral industry but in england and australia bodies were buried straight with no preservation hmm. so this was where margaret came from this is this is like barbaric to her yeah Embalming just wasn't done, and Claire would never have asked for such a procedure. Unfortunately for Margaret, the horror show was just beginning. Sheesh. Remember E.R. Butterworth yeah. and Sons? Yeah, full service. And the ambulances, well, they provided the ambulances to take the lock, the ladies to the dock. Well, here they come again. Mm -hmm. So Hazard brought Margaret to see Claire's embalmed body, which was held in the E.R. Butterworth mortuary. More fuckery? Now, this is all sounding weird and shady. It, it really was. <laughs> but there is some clarity to all of this. So at that time, Butterworth and Sons was right in the middle of a massive transition in American death care. So in just a few decades, around the turn of the 20th century, the status quo shifted from taking care of the dead in our own home where the undertaker was just some guy who rented you the carriage and sold you the casket to a growing all corpse care included industry. Right. Now that is something that, you know, that's, that's what it's called evidently. From assassination to grave. <clears throat> so Butterworth and Sons was spreading, uh, spearheading the newness in a five story full service funeral home, the likes of which the world had never seen in the 1900s. Hmm. The Seattle Daily Times called it the most complete establishment in the United States. Hmm. 
E.R. Butterworth came to the mortuary business in the most typical way. So he owned a furniture store and saw an opportunity to expand to building caskets when black diphtheria broke out in his home in Centerville, Washington. So from there, he expanded his business, moved to Seattle, where more business opportunities kept cropping up. And by opportunities... Uh, I mean, in the form of cholera and yeah, influenza yeah, and tuberculosis. <laughs> and let's not forget about the plague. So, yes, that was actually uh, in Seattle in the early 1900s, too. Mm. So the plague was still around. Fuck. Well, so in this Garden of Eden. I'm not, but I'm not claiming Butterworth was the only in the funeral trade for money. I don't want anybody to think that. Because sure. though that is arguably the cornerstone of the American funeral industry. I mean, it is kind of excessive in ways. Um, that's just my opinion. But in fact, before furniture making, E.R. Butterworth got his start in Kansas as a literal bone collector. Boogity boogity. So in the very... <laughs> it's a thing. Wow. He would roam the plains in the late 19th century in a wagon, searching for buffalo bones. As one does. And then he would sell them to manufacturers for $10 a ton, who would then grind the bones to make fertilizer. Okay. So one day while searching... He's industrious. Yeah, kind one one day while for searching for bones, he met a settler whose wife and child had just died and was in was digging holes in the dirt to bury them. Since ER himself had lost his wife in childbirth in 1870, he his heart went out to the guy. Yeah. And he took his own wagon apart. He dismantled the whole thing and used the boards to build a coffin. Wow. So that was a very sweet thing. Yeah, it was. And you know, a lot of businesses grow Fast and huge. Uh, it's popular today mm-hmm. to, for people to think that if you make a lot of money, you've, you've hurt people. And mm-hmm. things. It's generally people saying, I like your service. Right, right. You filled some sort of need for me. Here's mm-hmm. the money that I have excess of or that See, I feel is worth trading for your service. And I, I have zero issues. I am all about this. I'm about uh, growing because and, and building your business because mm-hmm. if you've got a valuable product, you're going to make money yeah. because people want to purchase that product from you. Right. What I'm against is misleading people mm-hmm. um, and lying yeah. and being deceitful and making money in that way. And all and the protection that comes once you become successful trying to harm your competitors, trying to protect, you know, our way is the way, trying to use the government right. to make laws. Well, the funeral industry really uh, turned into this... It, it turned into a very ugly thing around this period of time because it was a business and they were turning death into a business. There's it sounds no, like people were thinking it was like a cabal. You know, well, it kind of was. Or a monopoly. Or people, as in me, <laughs> when doing my research, <laughs> you I'm feel like, like it's a, okay. it was sure. at that time. I have no, like I said, I have no issues with businesses growing and making money. Mm-hmm. What they were doing was raping the community unethical shit and they were doing it through fear Mm. and it's and it's you know this is where people began to really fear the dead Mm. around this period of time where they became because they were moving them out of their homes they weren't holding wakes in the homes anymore they weren't washing the bodies Right. People, People were stopped dying. Having, having contact with death in yes. that way, and, and they kind of passing the buck. Exactly. Yeah. And to to this day, Which I'm kind of for. We are kind of yeah. still in the same boat. 
Depends um, on what culture you're from. Every, yeah. yeah. Well, in the West, in the, West, in the Western cultures, very we're squeamish about death. very much so. They don't like it. And je- death is just part of life. Yeah. But so. I never thought of that, that, that taking the death rituals away from the home. Mm-hmm. Or away from, I mean, it's illegal, I believe. That, yeah, they've that, made it so you can't. Which I would imagine the funeral industry, and I'm not trying to point fingers and stuff, but mm-hmm. through time, government is used by big companies to mm-hmm. manipulate you know their comp- competition and make sure that mm-hmm. they stay in power or stay you know financially right. viable it wouldn't surprise me at all that no. this took place here right well, a lot of things <clears throat> like that. that's why the government you know that's great keep, keep up with that experiment oh no anyway, go ahead well so in the years since moving to seattle er had become very wealthy his lavish home in queen anne could host parties for 300 people at once hmm. So he had moved up the ladder and really started growing. His funeral home, Butterworth and Sons, there were five of them. He had five sons. Hmm. Um, looked like a Victorian mansion. Hmm. So he had this Victorian mansion-looking thing for the dead folk? a mortuary. Well, that helps for people that are you know trying to buy into his services. Right. Like, it had a, fuck, this is nice. Blah, blah, blah. It had a crematorium, an elevator for transporting the bodies, and a casket showroom. <laughs> Right. The whole so, casket thing just blows my mind that you get charged at the end of someone's life. It's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna throw them in the dirt right, uh, or burn five, it. Five grand. Yeah. yeah. It's like we build. It's a really super nice mahogany that we're mm-hmm. gonna burn. It's like right. get the fuck out of here with that. So a a chapel spacious enough for two hundred mourners. Also have a bingo night and a and a choir loft with smoke machine and a balcony. Also with the smoke machine. So. ER People build castles and pyramids themselves throughout all history. So ER even rigged the chapel with a system of light signals by which a paid choir could be cued to begin or cease singing. Right at the perfect time. This guy, he should have been a Hollywood director. That's That's what it seemed like. He missed his calling. But all this success was put in jeopardy with the death of Claire Williamson. So we're coming back to the sisters. Margaret was escorted up to the Blue Room on the fifth floor of Butterworth and Sons to see Claire's embalmed body. Poor gal. Don't forget, Margaret has had a terrible last 24 hours. Welcome to Washington. She learned that her beloved Claire was dead. She gets a graphic description of her autopsy. And now she's going to go see her embalmed corpse, a process that she knows that Claire would not have wanted or asked for. So more confusing. Weeks after her death. Exactly. More confusing when the body is revealed to Margaret. It's not Claire. (laughs) Right. Sure, the body was wearing Claire's dress. And but the hair coloring was wrong. The hands were wrong. It wasn't freaking Claire. So it just wasn't her. And as Margaret stands there quietly confused about this, Hazard went on and on about how the embalming job was just exceptional and how Claire had expressed wishes to then be cremated and, quote, have her ashes buried at Olala. Fuckery. This further bothered Margaret so because, to her knowledge, Claire never had any interest in being cremated and wanted to be buried in Australia or England. Hmm. So it was all just so weird. Mm-hmm. When Hazard asked her to confirm that she recognized Claire's body, Margaret only replied, no, not really. Oh, God. As Margaret left Butterworth and Sons, she was almost relieved that the day was almost over, and soon she'd finally see Dora in Olala and hopefully find some answers and comfort, but there was no comfort to be found. Welcome to the United States. I hope you enjoyed your stay. The night Margaret Conway arrived at the Hazard Sanitarium was, was burned into her memory. Margaret was sent to a cabin that Hazard said was built specifically for Dora, a cabin that was essentially a chicken coop. Just like on the brochure. <laughs> Margaret was equally unprepared for Dora herself, a woman who now looked and smelled like death. 
After her sister died, she was relocated to what Dr. Hazard had always promised, which was a cabin in the woods. For chickens. Right. At the time, they built one cabin. One. Just one. Not on the brochure. And they had one cabin available. They called it... The Hungry House. Cabin Claire. In honor of her sister. What a bitch. Yep. About a week after Margaret arrived in America, John Herbert... Dora and Claire's uncle from Portland, Oregon, had rushed to Seattle when he got the news of Claire's death. Dr. Hazard informed him that Claire had died on May 19th, and John was fucking furious. Mm. He demanded to know why he hadn't been told sooner. I mean, it had already been two weeks. Hazard gave excuse after excuse, one of them being that they didn't know his address, and the sisters didn't really want anyone to know they were there. What caused her to die, John said. Uh, to which Hazard answered, I will show you. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, uh, No, that's not what I asked. Right. I'm so remember Hazard graphically describing Claire's autopsy to Margaret? Yeah. Yeah, well, here she took Uncle John into another room where she brought out a small cloth pouch tied with red string. Inside the pouch organs. were Claire's stomach, Ugh. liver, and some intestines, what which the- she showed to John as evidence of how shrunken they were. Can you fucking imagine? It's like, can you, how do I compare this? I'm what? Like, what the fuck? A bag with organs in it. Okay, the other thing she was doing here with the bodies involved the dentist that lived across the street, named Dr. Black. Uh, more fuckery. So she would excise the gold teeth from the bodies and basically sell them back to the dentist. Oh, wow. I mean, she had a really good little business over yeah, here. Yeah, that's a nice little She'd side do hustle. the autopsies. She'd get the teeth. She would uh, take make up the death certificate at, that it would fit the storyline that wasn't true, so... Anyways, back to Uncle John. This is just, <laughs> I'm reading, I'm just like researching this going, what the fuck? Very brazen. No this checks lady. and balances. So yeah. anyways. That's, she knew that though. She's like, yeah. I can get away with anything. <clears throat> I'm going to see. And it sounds like she was almost pushing it a little bit. He felt like it. Yeah. yeah. So back to Uncle John. John was absolutely flabbergasted by the presentation of the organs that and inquired after Dora. He wanted to know, so where's Dora? Where's mm-hmm. my niece? So Hazard coldly informed him that she was mentally incompetent, Mm. that you should never talk to her at all about finances, and she would soon die. Mm. A bedside manner, lady. John Herbert attended Claire's funeral, a funeral that Dora was barred from attending. They didn't allow her to attend her sister's funeral. And he also found himself in the presence of Claire Mm -hmm. (laughs) and her embalmed body at Butterworth and Sons. (laughs) John was more upfront than (sighs) Margaret would be that this was not Claire. Mm. What had ha- Dr. Hazard done and, and E.R. Butterworth done with Claire's actual body? That's something I, I don't think we'll ever know. Mm. After her arrival, Margaret became Dora's full-time caregiver at Wilderness Heights and moving into her tiny, tiny cabin and sneaking food to her at every opportunity. Once again, caring for her. Mm-hmm. The disturbing discoveries about Dr. Hazard were beginning to pile up. Margaret discovered that Dora had been tricked into giving Linda's husband power of attorney over her. Wow, that's not suspicious at all. That should be fine. That's fine. She also suspected Dr. Hazard of forging long sections of Claire's diary. What? Where Claire gave Hazard control of her remains and all her possessions and her diamonds. Oh, well, that makes sense. Margaret was immediately suspicious at the terrible spelling. These girls were educated. Very smart, yeah. Right. Very unlike Claire. And at the time... She actually referred to herself in her diary in the third person. That's not how you diary. So, yeah, she called herself Claire rather than I. <laughs> That's something Angus would do. Claire said. When yeah, ex- Angus is angry. Exactly. It's kind of weird. But perhaps the most heartbreaking was the account of how Claire had died. So, 
Dora had snuck across the attic to be at her side when she knew that her sister was dying, but suddenly Dr. Hazard appeared. Dora begged her to be able to say goodbye to her sister alone, but Hazard refused and started loudly talking over Claire's desperate last words, wow. just basically monologuing over the top. Wow. Hazard then asked the dying Claire if she'd like a treatment. Oh, that's fucking evil. Without waiting for an answer, she shoved herself between the sisters and beat on Claire's empty stomach. Evil. Claire's eyes rolled up into her head and she passed out shortly after she was dead. Wow. My first question is, why didn't Dora leave? Right. So that's... Probably doesn't even have the energy to leave. In the, when things started piling up, why didn't she leave? So this is where um, I kind of start going into this stuff. So the first night Margaret arrived at Wilderness Heights, Dora begged her to help her get out of Olala, but then backtrack on her plea to leave and said she wanted to stay and finish her treatment. Hmm. Okay, so this is where, I don't know, I started really thinking about it, and this is what I thought. So when you're weak and you feel like, my gosh, I might die, if somebody's telling you or a doctor is telling you you're going to be better tomorrow, trust me. Right. Fuck. There's something about that that's peaceful, that's powerful, specifically when it's a charismatic, commanding presence like we know Dr. Hazard was. Sure. So, it's I mean... Kind of, maybe even a placebo effect for some folk. She was somebody you listened to. And mm -hmm. listening would later morph into, I don't know, maybe fear. Authority. I think people, yeah... yeah so you would fear either displeasing her or maybe her wrath when she's giving you a massage treatment. She sounds so frustrating, talking over people when they're mm -hmm. pleading with their sister. I mean, it's just the most obscene injustice and, right. and for somebody to be so obtuse and not, not to know that they're doing that. It's like right. this is a sadistic person. Exactly. Yeah. So if you think about it, the thoughts might be something like, I'm going to get better. I put so much into this, into this already. I'm just going to stick with it. I've literally lost my sister to this. And if I give up now, I have nothing type thing. So watching my mom go through what mm -hmm. she went through. I mean, people will do. My mom had all sorts of these uh, mm -hmm. alternative medicines in her possession. She mm -hmm. didn't do all of them, but she was looking for anything to save her life. And I don't I don't fault people for that. Mm -hmm. I, just, I really fault the people that are very unscrupulous that are putting out these kind of things like. Hey, like put, Dr. Hey, put Hazard. this up your ass. Or, right, exactly. Yeah. Squirt this coffee up your ass. Yeah, and you know, I'll tell you guys a quick story real quick. When, when my mom was passing away, a bunch of people at the weed store mm -hmm. told her that, that they could cure cancer with uh, a certain kind of weed oil. Mm -hmm. if they shoved it up, if she shoved it up her ass. Yep. And I almost punched those kids because I, I helped found Hempfest in the Northwest. Mm -hmm. and uh, I've been very, I've studied cannabis a lot and I've looked at a lot of the medical studies and yeah, it's just absolute horseshit, and my mom was convinced of it. And I know. It was very sad to watch, and yeah. as a person that's very pro cannabis, it was very weird to be in a position where it's like, no, this is not a right. panacea. This is not going to cure your cancer. You need to listen to doctors. Right. Not the kid at the fucking weed store. So well, anyhow. she was wanting to sneak it into the hospital. Yeah, I did you know? sneak it into the hospital for. Her. Uh. I did sneak weed. It, I mean, and, fuck. You know, if it was for her to feel better, yeah, I'd feel fine with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but to, for her, where she's like, "You have to, or I'll die." And I'm like, "Dude, mom, what?" Yeah, they lied to you, mom. Yeah, right. So, so this is a situation that we're kind of dealing with here, and that's Sorry why to, it's yeah, no, but, but it's, it's fucking frustrating. It fits in there. Yeah, it was very frustrating. Yeah, I don't so, like punching hippies. I'm not Angus. Well, but I wanted to punch that hippie <laughs> in his face. This seems to be the moment. 
at this point in history, this seems to be the moment that Dora finally found the courage to escape. Mm. So in an encounter with Hazard shortly after Claire's death, Dora was staring out um, over a deep ravine. I think she was still in the attic, but I think she was looking out the window. That's what it seemed like in the book that I read. So Mm -hmm. it was like she was gazing out over the forest. But I think it was an opening. So I'm thinking that maybe it was like a deck Mm -hmm. and the ravine was below is what it seemed like. Because out of nowhere, Dr. Hazard appeared and then asked Dora if she was considering throwing herself into the ravine. That's creepy. I do believe that's the moment where she was saying, Dora, you want to jump into that ravine, don't you? (laughs) It was... The final red flag. Exactly. I don't. I don't think I do. Do I? It was, she said at trial, more of a command than a question. Certainly not showing any concern for her well-being. Mm. So Dora, surprised by Dr. Hazard... Surprise Dr. Hazard by responding with force for the first time. I don't think it's right for you to bring up such things considering what I've been through. Why would you mention the subject of suicide to me? Because Psycho wants your money? Mm-hmm. And that's when you think, okay, why is she saying that? Because she wants everything I have. Mm-hmm. She's taken my sister and now she wants what little I have left, which is the money and the land. And for me to go away and for me to die and not be able to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Hazard was wearing her sister's clothes like the next day, you know, and her jewelry and stuff. What? Oh, yeah. Fuck. So that part, when she met with Margaret, um, first of all, when she met with Margaret, she was wearing one of Dora's dresses. That's fucking evil. The next day, um, Claire's dresses. The next day after Claire died. Helped herself. Basically, she started wearing Claire's clothes. What a psycho. And all of her jewelry and everything, right? Fuck. So that's another clue I I mentioned. Dora certainly must have known that it wasn't going to end well for her. And with that, Dora was ready to escape. Margaret snuck a cablegram to Uncle John asking him to come help. John Herbert returned to Olala to get them. But even then, Hazard kept her hostage, saying Dora owned her thousands of dollars for unpaid treatments. Wow. Eventually, she was asking for like a a few thousand dollars so eventually they paid a thousand in essentially ransom to secure Dora's freedom wow on July that's a lot of money at that point too in July on July 22nd 1911 Dora fled to Tacoma weighing barely 60 pounds the press eventually got wind of the Dora escape and a photo of her corpse like state after leaving the sanitarium ran in the press Mm. she had done this with numerous patients but was never truly punished John Herbert could not believe how the practice was allowed to operate when it treated patients so awfully, so he went to the British consulate in Tacoma. The consulate was shocked by the very sad and tragic story being told by Mr. Herbert and Mrs. Conway, Miss Conway, and immediately contacted the Kitsap County authorities demanding that she be prosecuted for causing the death of a British national under her care. Mm. Kitsap County, however, did not want to pursue the matter. They knew it would be costly and didn't have the funds available to pay for the legal case. Mm. So as pressure grew from the British consulate, it was agreed that Dorothea Williamson would fund the prosecution in the in her own case. And in August 1911, Linda Hazard was arrested. 
Oh, finally. Finally. Sheesh. She had no medical degree, but a loophole in the law in Washington state granted her license to practice alternative medicine as a fasting specialist. Whoopsie. The judge voided the guardianship, and all of this was adding up to appear to be a strong murder case against Linda Hazard. The vice consul and the lawyer continued to dig. And this is where it's going to get really interesting with the Butterworth stuff. Mm. So they continued to dig and soon discovered an understanding that existed between Linda Hazard and the E.R. Butterworth and Sons Mortuary. The vice consul found proof that Hazard had slowly killed one of her previous patients, a New Zealand man by the name of Eugene Stanley Wakeland, to secure his wealth for her own purposes. Of course. No shock there, right? Yeah. So we already know what Hazard's up to. The surprise was that when he died, Butterworth and Sons charged a ridiculous amount of money for his funeral services. Mm, fuckery. Like, outrageous. Fuckery, fuckery. Why, you know, why did they charge so much? Well, allegedly, it was Butterworth's fee for their silence to give Hazard free reign to do as she pleased with these bodies. Autopsying them, oh, moving them around in the night, taking the organs to her office for show and tell. Dude, D- gross. Is that the only reason that she wanted those organs? Was she just like really into that shit? I, it seems like it. It made her powerful. Okay, so she was into some occult shit too, maybe. She really was. Well, okay. she was into occult stuff. Okay, so yeah. she's holding on to these for right. Good God. Yep. So we didn't even go into that because no. that's a whole. I mean, I could do a whole twenty-page story, two-hour event on this that. This lady's got a lot of details, that's for right. sure. Very interesting story so far. That's some good research. So, we'll never truly know, though we can strongly suspect that they helped facilitate replacing Claire's body with a more robust, less emaciated corpse in order to hide her starvation from her family. Makes sense. Right. So it's just the problem is that her family would fucking know her face, but even after two, three, two weeks of death so and but, embalming. But in, defen- in defense of that, the reason I say we'll never truly know is that there have been many cases of horrified families who believe a funeral home has presented them with the wrong body. Sure. But only to learn that, in fact, that is their loved one. And the process of embalming can just make a body look very different. My mom looked so different. Yeah. She did not look like her. I mean, it was her for sure, Mm -hmm. but it was like... Very, very different. very different. Well, and once somebody dies, the moment they pass away, they look different. Yeah. Yeah, that sparkle in the eye in a picture is more... Even when their eyes are shut, something is different. You just know death. Yeah. You just know it. So, well, specifically when you know the person. For sure. Remember, her family, especially the Australian Margaret, uh, they likely have never seen an embalmed body before. But it doesn't help Hazard and Butterworth's case that they secretly came to pick up Claire's body from Olala without a removal permit at all from the health department. And she was also cremated without proper paperwork. Yeesh. Yeah. Once it's done, oh, sorry. Yeah, which that, is, my by the way... My fine is better than the fucking years in jail. The, the paperwork, the mm. cremation paperwork was overseen by Butterworth. Of course it was. And they didn't require it. Yeah, so... And it was believed <coughs> that the King County coroner who rented morgue space from Butterworth was also working with Linda Hazard. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, th- wow. You know what they say, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Or but how corrupt and how wicked were these people? Right, right. Or was it something, you know, compartmentalized? It's, it's, they're like, well, I'm just getting a fucking a couple hundred bucks here. Not could It could be. I doubt there was a lot of wickedness except in Linda's head. For sure. I mean, she was pretty goddamn wicked. For sure. And her husband was probably just scared to shit of her. Yeah. You know, well, I so, could definitely see that. So Butterworth told the papers that all these accusations were a result of the schemes of the political ring in Bremerton who were just jealous of the family business success. 
Hmm. He said, you guys are all just jealous. Jesus. Warrants were issued for the undertaker's arrest, but no criminal charges could ever be brought against Butterworth and Sons. Wow. This is why Mrs. Butterworth broke out on her own. They were, however, named in a lawsuit against Hazard for desecrating a body, and it damaged their reputation for years. Hmm. Although, they're still in business, they were bought out, and they're called something else right. now. So now they don't have any connection to it, really, I'm sure. Right. So finally, the trial opened January of 1912 at the county courthouse in Port Orange. Linda's defense team told the press that the medical establishments were conspiring against her as she was able to cure patients that they were unable to help. Excellent. They also maintained that the patients had come to her. Yeah. They were already ill, so those that died would have died anyway, mm. even if they had sought more conventional medical practices. This woman seems just like such a delusional, yeah. obnoxious you know, yep. human being. The prosecution, however, produced witnesses who were medical experts and who discredited her practices. They also had large amounts of evidence that proved that Linda benefited from the death of her patients, mm. including forged signatures on legal documents. They eloquently told the courts that this amounted to financial starvation. Mm. <laughs> her defense team included her employees, who told the courts how many patients had greatly benefited from her treatments and that many often came back for more remedies. Now, this is something that I looked into. Sounds like they didn't benefit from And them. she practiced for a long time. Mm. And there were 20 to 40 deaths. But she had hundreds of patients that didn't death a year. So she, she's probably justifying it in her head. Like, well, the ratio is pretty good. It's right. 10, to, 10 to 1. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I looked into it. And it, she did treat people. And they did live. Not everyone died. Sure. So this was part of the defense. Well, probably not everyone finished the treatments either. They're like, oh, right. she's beating the fuck out of me. One Kicking me in the dick is not going to cure me of whatever. So this was interesting. One of the witnesses in her defense was John Huglin. His wife, Daisy, died while being treated by Mrs. Hazard. But he testified that he had faith in her methods and did not feel she was responsible for his wife's death. Okay. So even some of these, I mean, he was very effective in his um, statements. So Linda also refused to take any responsibility for Clara Williamson's death and considered the trial an attack on her as a successful woman and an attack on natural medical treatments. And she's not a deluded fuckhead at all. So when the trial ended, the jury went out to deliberate, and shortly afterwards they returned to find the defendant... A shit bastard. Linda Hazard, guilty of manslaughter. Good. And the judge sentenced her to between 2 and 20 years hard labor at the penitentiary in Walla Walla. Hard labor. Huh? Mm -hmm. nice. She also had all her medical licenses revoked. And you can't keep the Cracker Jack box that came in neither. Less than three years later, though, on the 26th of December in 1915, she was released. Dumb. What? Yep. And a year afterwards, the governor, Ernest Lister, gave her a no, full no. pardon. What the fuck? Along with her husband, Samuel, Linda moved to New Zealand where she worked calling herself a physician. No. A dietitian. No. And an osteopath. I learned zero things. She also had time to write another fucking book. Wow. Yep. She made quite a lot of money in New Zealand, and in 1920, guess what? What? She returned to Olala. No. Where she eventually completed her sanitarium. No. As she no longer possessed a medical license, she called it a school of health. Fuck me. Yeah, some suspects. So the sanitarium proved to be a success, but in 1935, it burnt to the ground. Well, good. So, yeah. 
Some suspect arson, and I'm not surprised about that at all. Three years later, Linda, now in her late 60s, became ill. Finally, Jesus gets around to it. So, in an attempt to heal herself, she undertook a fast of her own. (laughs) However, it proved to be unsuccessful, and on June 24th, 1938, Linda Burfield Hazard died at the age of 70. The number of patients who died due to Mrs. Hazard's fasting diet are unknown, but estimates range between 20 and 40 people. Mm. Yeah, so Dorothea, Dorothea Williamson, she lived. She did recover her health, and she returned to England, where she married the Reverend Windham Allen Chaplin on the 7th of May in 1914. What a very religious name. My name is Reverend Father Padre Chaplin Johnson III. Tragically, though, three months after her wedding, her husband drowned. She never married again, and she died on the 2nd of January, 1945, at the age of 72. I'm glad she lived a little yeah, bit longer. A little than, bit. So, pac- Miss Hazard. The patients known to die under Dr. Hazard's care in Washington, just in Washington, mm-hmm. is 15. Okay. Even though some people died in Minnesota. So... 1907, Lenore. Well, she Jacobs. went to New Orleans or to, mm. to and New Zealand, New too, Zealand so too. Got to check some body bags there. So this is. I'm going to read this because this is interesting. Some of these people. So, Lenore J. Wilcox died in 1907. 1908, Daisy Maud Hagland, the mother of Ivar's restaurant founder Ivar Hagland. Oh wow. Ivar's, the fish place. Yeah, that's one of the only fish places I like, right on the mm-hmm. pier there. Ivar was taken to hazards for treatments even after Daisy died. So, 1909, Blanche B. Tyndall. 1909, Viola Heaton. 1909, Eugene Henley Wakelin did not die of starvation. Really? But was found dead of a bullet wound. Fucking, that's not from the health. On <laughs> Hazard's property, Linda Hazard had power of attorney over his estate. Oh, damn. He was she found with a up. bullet in his head in 1909. Oh. 1910, Lydia Maud Whitney. 1910, Earl Edward Erdman. 1911, Frank Stewart Southard. The funny thing is, if you combine all these people's weight <clears> together, <throat> it's like a normal person's weight. Yeah. <laughs> they all weighed 12 pounds. So Frank Stewart Southard was a prominent attorney with the firm of Morris Southard and Shipley. His law partner publicly defended Linda Hazard. This is weird corruption. Isn't like. it? 1911, Edward S. Harrison, publisher of Alaska Yukon Magazine and Hazard's book, Fasting for the Cure of Disease. He died. Oh, wow. Yeah, 1911, John Ivan Flux. 1911, Louis Ellsworth Raider, Washington legislator. 1895, Raider granted Wilderness Heights to Linda Hazard. What? Yep. 1911, Claire Williamson. Is she the actual Illuminati? What's going on here? It's fucking weird. She's got all these guys in her pockets. 1911, Claire Williamson died. 1913, Ida Julia Anderson died. 1913, Mary T. Bailey Bailey died, and 1925, Leonard Ritter died. And if we take her death into consideration, hers as well. Yeah. She's pretty damn high. But you said 20 to 40, possibly. Well, the the people that I listed here were just Washingtonians. And those were all verified, too. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a good chance that she killed some other people. Oh, yeah. She's up there. But we're only counting the 15 that are verified. Yep. So, that's it. All right. Well, now let's do our dipshit meter and get a little deeper into just how much of a piece of shit our dipshit is for today. Yes. Dipshit meter time. All right. So, our very first thing that we're talking about is brutality. Brutality. Uh, She did beat the shit out of people for health. Yeah. 
And she did actually kill somebody by beating him at least one. Well, yeah. Well, she was, I mean, she, ugh, that's probably cruelty too. But yeah, she beat the hell out of Claire when Claire was on her deathbed. Right. Want another treatment? Uh, Need something? Needs. <laughs> There's a punch to the stomach. So you gave you gave her a 2.0 for brutality. I did. I gave her the 2.0 simply because um, it, it's kind of like middle of the road. So yeah. when you're reading this story and you're listening, it sounds fucking brutal. Right. Beating people for right. health. Yeah. But when you compare her to some of the other characters that we have covered. Yeah. No one um, near Albert exactly. Fish or, or Lopez. Yeah. Right. So she was, her brutality was under the guise of medical care. Which so, is scary as fuck. Right. So, well, I gave her a 2.0, and 2. I thought 0. that was pretty fair, yeah. All right, let's talk cruelty. How mean is the dipshit? So for cruelty, she's very high. Yes. 4.25. Absolutely. I, she was one of the cruelest. I mean, jeez, I know women can be cruel, but this woman was fucking over the top. Yeah. Lots but, of I mean, injustice and, and, and annoying, it sounded like, obnoxiously. <laughs> obnoxious, yes. Talking over people when they're trying to fucking plead to them. Yeah. But from the point of withholding food, demeaning and just... Being a sweetie. Demoralizing people, uh, trying to uh, trying to push suicide, yeah. showing dried out organs to family members, yeah. replacing bodies to try and lie to people. I mean... Ugh. Cruel. Very cruel. Absolutely cruel. 4.25. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's talk about her criminal mind. Was this person a dumb fuck? Yeah. So you gave her a 3.75. Also very clever. She's fucking the Illuminati, basically. Yeah. She, she's <laughs> running the Illuminati. I didn't mean she's fucking the Illuminati, but she's, she's maybe doing that too. But she's <laughs> doing something with the Illuminati. She's got some sort of connection with she's, the city of Seattle at the time. She's the done scam. some... Uh, first of all, she's practicing medicine. Scam. Illegally mm. for years. Doesn't give a fuck either. And nobody, no nobody, Illuminati can. think like that. <laughs> That's it. And nobody can, nobody can touch her. Nobody wants to. Right. Or they can't afford. You know, she was in this weird little gray area, and then of course all of the money that she acquired mm-hmm. through the process made her more and more untouchable. Mm-hmm. And ridiculous. then her ties with the scum. You know, all the way up to the legislator. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. So she was, she's really smart in the way she did things. Now, in her defense, she also was a very smart, business-minded woman. Right. She bought property. She started her business. She ran her business. And she ran that business under the guise of medical care. And... It was powered by skinny people's tears. A theory that will would prove later on, you know, decades down the road, to be beneficial. Yeah, she wasn't completely Mm-mm. off her rocker No, that, but, but moderation. Everything in moderation. There's yeah. a gray area with nuance here that is completely being ignored. Yeah, I, I think of this... Because again, back to my mom, she was told a ton of different things. Mm-hmm. And it, I picture like this is the same scenario as if someone's telling you, okay, water therapy. You mm-hmm. want water therapy as much as you can. If eight, if eight glasses of water is good for you, <laughs> which is, you know, it's suspect and mm-hmm. we're all different sizes and different body chemistry and stuff. But if that's good for you, then well, fucking 16 glasses of water must be really good for you. Mm-hmm. So I can just picture people the same kind of scenario with just a lady like Linda Hazard but mm-hmm. just with a hose just with big yep. people in, in the just waterboarding people completely bloated people in the backyard <laughs> just with a hose in her mouth and her butt just fill you need full saturation before we can even look at your internal organ before we even diagnose you you need right. to be fully saturated I'm going to turn you into a swimming pool before I can look at you for your health oh 
it water seems, bags. It seems similar, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just fucking ridiculously over the top. Right. It's like, you're going to be a waterbed before <laughs> we get you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're off to... You gave her 3.75 for the criminal mind. Mm-hmm. I would say she's pretty thoughtful being the center of the Seattle Illuminati. So, mm-hmm. But now let's talk about her depravity. Icky stuff. So for depravity, 2.5. Yeah. Not not as high as you know some of these crazy fucks mm-hmm. like Gein Gein mm-hmm. Gein. I can never get his goddamn name right. Gein, <laughs> uh, but pretty deprived, deprived, depraved, depraved, depraved Yeah, but simply because she did her own autopsies. Partly, she wanted to hide behind those the paperwork and stuff. Right. But I don't know, man. She did them in a bathtub. Part of me thinks that the occult stuff too. Yeah. Because you don't just take organs out to be like, I'm going to just put this on the shelf and just Mm-mm. think about it from time to time. It's like, no, you're stabbing it with stuff and you're dripping it into a cauldron. And <laughs> there's eyes of newts involved. And right. Shit. It's just really weird shit. Yeah. So, but I think 2.5, that's pretty fair. Now let's look at the public threat. <laughs> threat to the public. So this is our newer one and this accounts for really the body count. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, helps the number just show that much more how dangerous this person is in a more accurate way. Mm-hmm. So the body count of this person, we're going to give them 20. Yeah. Even though there's 15 verified in Washington State, she's got, a, I mean, it could be up to 40. So we're cutting it right in the middle, playing right. it safe. Right. And on our scale, technically, that makes her a 4.5. That's very high to being a 5. Yeah. 20, 26 is a 5. Yeah. Okay. So with all that said and done, her final score on the dipshit danger meter is a 3.4. And that is the highest female of mm-hmm. all the serial killers that mm-hmm. we've covered so far. Double that of, of Miss Warnos. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's even higher than Dugan, mm-hmm. which was a 2.65 and our highest female to that point. But she's higher than Joseph Fritzel, who was a 2.85, and now higher than Ed Kemper, who was a 3.35 mother. <laughs> uh, so she's, I mean, she's, she's fucking up there. Up there. And she's up her there. brain, the way, I mean, she wasn't super smart, but the way that she manipulated the mm-hmm. town. But now let's talk about her notoriety. Look at me, I'm a piece of shit, yeah. So before she was caught, there was some, people knew. People uh-huh. knew that she was starving people and they had their oh, yeah. theories about her. So you gave her a 3.0 before she was caught. Right. Well, this all started in a completely different state. It was Minnesota. Right. So, I mean, she, people died there. Well, they have verified death there too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they did. Well, so. and that's why she left. Yeah. I mean, remember <laughs> her, her husband Her yeah. husband was uh, convicted of bigamy. Right. And and she people were like, well, her patients are dying, you know. So mm. it was it was a weird thing there. And then when she moved to Washington State, and people were dying left and right, people just individuals seeing what was going on. The the people who lived in the Buena Vista apartment buildings were watching all these living corpses. Yeah, I mean, so like there it was wasn't a, like this before, right? There was just a lot of conversation. And then the people of Olala were scared to death of that woman, hmm. and they were seeing what was going on. So, so it was relatively high. I gave her a three point Yep. Yeah, so people knew what was up. Afterwards, it got even a little bit higher, mm-hmm. 3.5. Right. Well, that's because now the news knew and the police mm-hmm. knew and the authorities knew and nobody could fucking touch her. Right. That's why she doesn't get a five and that kind of stuff. She was pretty much invincible yeah, in, in a way. And you it's, know? well, it, and then she left. Yeah, and came back later. And fucking came back. And was like, I did, and I'm living my dream. She did the same fucking thing yeah. and killed more people. Yeah. Good living, God. Living my dream. You can't uh, take my dreams from me. Eesh. And now her infamy 
one of the lowest of all the infamies. Nobody knows nobody about knows. her. Probably even in Washington State. I live in Washington State. I live on the other side. Mm-hmm. But I've spent a lot of time in Seattle and, and that area. And mm-hmm. I've never heard that story. Well, Olala. But people don't just talk about, hey, guys on the street. They're like, hey, you hear about the serial killer from 1885? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, but I know, the, I know the people of Olala are familiar with it because I'm it's sure. part of their history. Sure. And it's such a small area. I don't know what the population is now. Well, it's not 500 anymore. It's that's for sure. 380. Or 380. It's that's not what it was. Right. Yeah, that's that's how much it is per square foot <laughs> to get an apartment there. It's 380. So her right. final infamy was 0.75. Doesn't even get a one. Right. Uh, and altogether, with our before, after, and then the infamy, she's a 2.41. Not very high. Mm-mm. And I mean, honestly, she's very, very low in the one that matters, which is infamy. Right. Nobody knows about no her. No one knows about her. Now let's talk about our conclusions. Okay. Conclusions about today's dipshit. All right. So this was super interesting for me. I'd oh, never I'm glad heard this you story. enjoyed it. It's more Washington State lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, hooray. Washington attracts <laughs> some of the weirdest fucks in the full fucking country and apparently the world. <laughs> right, right. That's great. But this one, it's just interesting to see how little respect women serial killers really get when it comes to mm-hmm. the infamy of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all afraid of the dude that's going to choke a guy out or just, you know, mother with a head mm-hmm. and all that stuff. <laughs> and we're, I think we're intrigued by the sexual nature of men's crimes. Yeah, they get so It's like he fucked a goat and then he chopped its head off and he mailed it to his third grade PE teacher? What? Why? Yeah, the depravity is really high in, in male serial killers. Yeah, but the... The frustration level that I get mm-hmm. when I listen to these lady ones where, I mean, they have this power over people mm-hmm. in a couple of these now, and they just use it in such an evil sounding way yep. that's it's almost worse. It's like, I'd rather just be hacked to death <laughs> than have to listen to this lady belittle me and then right? gaslight me mm-hmm. and, and, you know, these all these terrible things. You're looking in the mirror like, I don't think this is working. I weigh 50 pounds. <laughs> my skull is 80% of my body weight right now. Uh, I don't think it's working. And she's like, it no, is. I think it is. You never looked better. Nope. You nope. came in here way, you way came skinnier. In, you came in here on. sick. Yeah. You're putting weight on. You I didn't great. kill you. Yeah. <laughs> you just, came in here sick. I was fine. No, you weren't. You were ill. You were going to die anyways. Yeah. I think I would rather be bashed to death, smashed. Yeah, the uh, gaslighting is very frustrating. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. So this one, she comes across as one of the highest gaslighters of of any of these that we've covered so far. And as as far as injustice, that one, I just boil when I hear people doing that. Oh, me too. It's some weird form of bullying. It's that narcissism Mm -hmm. where they're just... It's like, no, you don't see it with your own eyes. <laughs> There's a lot of that in the world today, so mm-hmm. I'm just sick of gaslighting. It's yeah. like, you know, if you're going to pretend I'm stupid, at least be better at it. <laughs> be better. Be better. <laughs> well, this was a lot of research for you. Yeah. Really well done. I've, I fucking learned a lot. Thank you. I learned a lot about starvation and about, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the body, what it, how it works and all mm-hmm. that. A little bit. I, I mean, we didn't go too deep in the science, but... Uh, yeah, I well, removed a lot of it. I had a whole like three pages of Yeah, like, I learned more about of science. science before that even too when we talked about this. It was like, mm-hmm. Jesus, that's a lot of peptids and no, yep, I don't know. Yep. The there book. was all kinds of stuff in there, but Keystone beer is involved. <laughs> all that stuff, ketones. Key. In a nutshell, from what I understand, fasting can be very healthy for you. Yes. It gives your body a break. Mm. And it does, it assists in regulating blood sugar. Mm. It assists in high blood pressure. Mm. But it has to be done. Preferably without the beatings. Right. And all these things have to be done right. Well, and bodies are different. Mm-hmm. You know, your blood type might have something to do with it. Your body's well, chemistry. Your, yeah. Your, male or female. Or, you know, your fat content, your height, your weight, your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. 
everything um, plays into this. Yeah, so environment. Where it's you live. like I said, uh, this there is no black and white to any of this, especially when it comes to this, you know, medicine. Mm. So I really enjoy the natural approach to things, sure. and I trust the natural approach to as things. As long as there's not any red flags, right? Or at least acceptable flags of a of a lesser red. Well, you know, like pink flags. It's like okay, maybe this is experimental. <laughs> this is weird. I'm not going to assume it works. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I, I respect that. <clears throat> well, approaching anything with a base understanding, do a little bit of uh, research into things. Read up on it. Ask questions. Yeah. Um, and if any doctor shuts you down and doesn't listen to you, uh, won't examine you, geez. Yeah, not until they do some weird... <laughs> and, and let, me, let me get the hose real quick. The AMA has made it so that that's not possible in our medical community now it's not supposed to be possible right but this um alternative medicine community which is a growing thing which i appreciate yeah. in in a lot of ways sure um they're not regulated in the same way right even they are they're trying to be but they're not not really no so if you happen to see a um, naturopath and you're gonna need to i mean be able to ask questions and they should examine you right um and they should uh, provide you with a treatment plan like any other physician would. I want whoever touches my body mm-hmm. I want them to know the names of bones mm-hmm. the names of organs real well <laughs> I want them to know what the circulatory system all the little avenues I want them to know all that they shit. should have a medical degree yeah they really should well, it, but then why stop at naturopath if you're already if you already memorized the bones <laughs> and, and the circulatory <laughs> system and all that shit then, then because go medical the, go the next edu- level medical education is very expensive uh, you're right it is like a hundred or a couple hundred grand just in fucking like yeah. plane flights to get you know, it's doctors it's, have a whole different mm-hmm. thing that they have to go through for sure yeah respect to doctors mm-hmm. and i respect the ama and i respect their they basically set up a system of checks and balances to mm-hmm. make sure that you have to pass all these things is it perfect i doubt it no i bet it's corrupt it and stupid just like everything yeah. else humans do and the but pharmaceutical industry it's better is, than this shit that we went through in the past right and the pharma- pharmaceutical industry is fucked yeah but yeah. it does have its benefits and there's certain as an example my mother would not be alive today if it weren't for pharmaceuticals for sure you know, she's has a longer, healthier life because of better life through modern medicine. Yeah, absolutely. And so I appreciate the pharmaceuticals. Me too. Now, if I get to the point in my life where I have to take pills to stay alive, I'll probably do that. Right. But in the meantime, I treat my colds and my weird symptoms with teas and tinctures and herbal and crystals supplements. Up your butt. And, and, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> so, yeah, no. <laughs> All right. Well. I appreciate the crystals, and I have a fuck ton of them i know you do um you're you're often a supplier for people like yes i am lots and lots of crystals (laughs) i don't shove them up my ass no you know and i've tried to get her to do it but she won't do it there's a really interesting thing they sell crystal dildos now sure that's a wizard's dildo ouch take that spiritual next leap that's so weird to me it first of all it's probably cold i mean if you don't enjoy the duck bills at the fucking (laughs) <laughs> the gynecologist. At the gynecologist, why are you going to want to shove a cold ass rock in it your JJ? Maybe it's a fun little sensation for it to get warmer. <sighs> and there's no pliability at all. Right. Very rigid. I guess. Not giving in any way. Well, to each their own. Yeah. Some people like I, to be you know. punched in the face when they have sex. So, I mean, <laughs> to each their own. D- Dan and Joe sat me down 
<laughs> on my first ever time on the secret suck, mm-hmm. Dan and Joe sat me down in front of a laptop with little shit-eating grins on their faces mm-hmm. and made me watch a dude get kicked in the balls. Uh, not only kicked in the balls. Oh, God. But I their, remember hearing about this. Yeah. Stiletto boots stepped on the balls. on a w- They put his balls on a wood, on a wood plank oh. and just stepped on them and crushed them. And it was... I can't terrible. unsee it. it was, Didn't you say one of them you thought you heard it pop? Yeah, we all did. Oh, it, it popped for sure. Oh. Like, I don't even Good. understand... God. I mean, I get that life is hard and that you're like, fuck this place. But to get to the point where you're like, just just punch them off. It's like, you can you can cut those off. Just mm. There's a procedure if you want to have stuff done. I mean, but getting them kicked like that. Mm, that's terrible. It's another kind of level of not liking the earth. Mm. So, anywho. But yeah, no kink shaming. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you mentally at all. You've, you've got it all figured out, actually. We should all turn come to your side and uh, find reason. Once again moderation yes there is a balance there's nuance here get kicked in the balls that's fine if that's what turns you on sure but try not to crush them so you bleed to death right bleeding out for your sexual thing is yes yeah, you only get one time yep. so, i mean that's really there's not a, a fine fetish. line fine that's line. not a fetish that's, yeah. a, that's a way off the planet <laughs> so well linda linda hazard has brought up some weird conversations yes and it's she, been yes she has lovely it's, fodder to think of oh my gosh you should have seen about. my research oh, I bet. it's been a, a week-long crazy spider web which is why this was so long there was a lot that i didn't want to get rid of yeah and i wanted to keep it in there because it added to the story and there was so much i mean like the the butterworths and the funeral industry and yeah. the i don't know illuminati shit there was just a lot of shit there's involved. a lot of twists and turns yeah and, it was a yeah. I felt bad for those two, the two sisters very much. Yeah, and the, their story is the, the heart of it all. And ugh, mm-hmm. what a terrible way to go. I'm glad one of them lived and survived. But Me too. To watch the other go through that and yeah. have to deal with that kind of gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Fuck people, <laughs> but not you guys. I'm, I have a feeling most of you guys just want what everybody, most people want, mm-hmm. just a happy life, mm-hmm. and for people to cooperate together mm-hmm. without coercion and without fucking bullshit and mm-hmm. punching people when they don't feel good and all that stuff. <laughs> we just want people to be left alone and uh, love the people they love real hard, work together nice. Yeah. Well, so, this has been... This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks to everybody that listens, and thanks to the Litter Box, mm-hmm. our Patreon community, and thanks to everyone in the Shitbox, our Facebook community. Yes. And thanks to everyone who just listens and doesn't like to join groups. Yeah. We get it. And yeah. I'm one of those people, too. I am, too. So we appreciate you. <laughs> and yeah, you don't have to share. You don't have to do anything. Just enjoy. Yeah. Thank you for listening so much. But we do super appreciate it when you do share, or you rate and review, or you Ugh. jump on our Patreon at Scatcast, or you buy our dumb merch, or other hello. Um, We'll talk at you in the future. It'll seem like the present. Bye. Bing bong. <laughs> <laughs>